I am glad you're here. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Luke or uh, click over there, whatever you need to do to get there. The uh, Gospel of Luke's the, the third book of the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you hit John, you went too far, go backwards. Uh, I got to say, I am really excited about preaching through this gospel. We worked our way through the gospel of John when we first began as a, a Bible study in 2013, but we've never preached through a gospel. Uh, and, and it's such an exciting thing for us to do because while it's true that, that, that all of Scripture is ultimately about Christ, and we can and we should and, and we do preach Christ from all of the Scriptures, there is something wonderfully nurturing about preaching directly about Jesus our Lord from the Gospels. And so it's an exciting thing to be, to be beginning on. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you, you might know that we, we've already preached through the book of Acts, and, and Acts was also written by, by Luke, the same author of, of this Gospel that bears his name. Uh, and so you see these two books actually go together. They're, they're written. And, and so the first book is, is Luke, of course, which uh, tells everything about Christ's life, his, his birth, his uh, ministry, his death, his resurrection, and then it stops. And when you get to the book of Acts, it, it picks up right from there, and it gives you the whole history of the church from the point of Christ's uh, ascension, his uh, uh, going to, to be at the right hand of the Father, all the way as the church spread throughout the region. Uh, and, and so you've got these, these two things. And, and I will say this, though. We, if you've been here for a while, you know we already did preach through Acts, which means we're doing these in reverse order than, than you'd think of them. Uh, so you might actually think about the Gospel of Luke as we approach it as the prequel to when we went through the Gospel of Acts. Uh, in other words, it's a lot like Star Wars Episode One, but without Jar Jar Binks and a whole lot more action. I, I think that's right. My Star Wars is always a little iffy. Um, but uh, so, you know, so then this passage that we have today, this is this is the prologue. It's actually the introduction to it. Uh, that's the kind of thing that Luke is writing, that it, it has an entire little portion right here that is uh, one incredibly long run on sentence. But it is uh, designed to introduce the gospel that we're going to be reading here. So let's go ahead and read it. We'll be in uh, chapter one, verse one. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin today, opening the pages of the Gospel of Luke, um, as we begin this journey, this preaching series, we, we ask that, that Luke's original purpose for Theophilus would, would be true for us today. That purpose we'll, we'll see in a little more detail in a minute. Lord, um, we ask, though, that you would enlighten our minds and soften our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to start with a little bit of a different angle here. I want us to think for a moment about faith and doubt, just for a moment. You see, because for, for many of us, there, there are times in life when our faith in, in Christ and Christianity and what we believe is so incredibly strong that we can't make sense out of how anyone could doubt ever. It just seems downright silly that anyone could do that. And yet for, for many Christians, doubt shows up in our life. 
It, it comes in sort of like, like fog in the early morning. You don't really see it coming. And little by little, it just begins to appear. And, and visibility is slowly removed. And, and before you know it, you can no longer uh, see uh, you know, what moments before you could see absolutely. That's the way this, this unbelief, this, this doubt can, can sink in. And, and doubt can just be like that. And, and in those moments, I, I think there's this, this tendency, even as Christians, to begin asking these questions, you know. Are, are, are the scriptures really true and trustworthy? Or, or maybe when, when I pray, does God actually hear me? Or, or is the sky empty, as, as Sylvia Plath famously wrote of her own experience when she sat down to pray? You see, maybe the fog of doubt makes us wonder, you know, if, if our actual sins are actually forgiven. Or, or perhaps it's that terrifying question. Will I really go to heaven? Is there really a heaven? See, brothers and sisters, don't be afraid of your doubt. I don't mean just push them off like you would something that's not worth being afraid of. I mean, don't, don't be afraid when they come. I think there's this tendency sometimes to, to panic and just push them off. Let's not deal with those. As if that's the way you should deal with doubts. Let me read you this. Tim, Tim Keller wrote this. He said, A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. You find throughout church history a lot of these men who uh, were, were well known for their, their great faith. Charles Spurgeon, who's you know, the prince of preachers, uh, and known for a strong faith, said, said this. He said, I, I do not believe there ever existed a Christian yet who did not now and then doubt his interest in Jesus. I, I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. Even John Calvin, speaking of faith and doubt, had this to say. He said, surely we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that is not assailed by some anxiety. Now, I know this is not your typical introduction to a new book like this, but I'm telling you this for a few reasons. I'm telling this because I want you to know that you can be honest with God about doubt. Right? I want you to know that you can pray and ask God to help you when you have doubt. This is not the kind of thing you think you can hide from Him or you should try to. I want you to know that God can work through your doubts to strengthen your faith. Uh, I want you to understand really why Luke writes this gospel that he writes. It, it's to record this history of Jesus, a, a history of his birth, a history of his ministry, a history of his death, a history of his resurrection, so that we can really understand this. He, he writes this gospel to give confidence to those who have learned something about Jesus, but may have doubts. We're going to come back to his motivation with a little more detail in a little bit. But I guess first we kind of want to know who, who is Luke, right? Uh, it, it's a bit of a, a mystery, really. Honestly, nobody knows what his origin is. No one knows who his parents were. Nobody knows who Luke's father is. Um, no one knows what town he's from. We, we don't know, you know, how, how God brought him to faith, how his conversion went down. The story's not recorded anywhere, but we're certain that it absolutely did happen. 
What we, what we do know is that his name is Greek. It's not Hebrew. And all that really tells us is that he, he was not a Jewish man. He would have been uh, most likely a, a Gentile, which is anyone who's not a Jewish man. Uh, and you may have heard him actually called Dr. Luke before. He's called Dr. Luke because in Colossians 4.14, Paul refers to Luke there as uh, the beloved physician. And that's the, the reason we, we often hear him called that. Paul also writes in Philemon 24 that, that Luke was a fellow worker with him. Eventually, he ends up out ministering alongside these, the, you know, the, the apostles. Uh, Luke was not an eyewitness to the events he's writing about in the gospel. We, we know this because he tells us that in the section we just read. There in, in verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, have delivered these, uh, this information to us. He was not included upon, among that. Uh, so what we know is that he gathered information from the apostles and he gathered information from other eyewitnesses. Uh, and, and so he was more of a researcher. In case you missed it, Luke was not an apostle, right? Uh, but as we see in verse 3 here, that he, he followed all things closely for some time. He, he was close with some of the apostles. He was their friend. He was their traveling companion. He was their fellow worker. And, and, and some of you may remember when we were going through the book of Acts, uh, that, that in chapter 16, there was this, this switch that happened in the way that things were being written. Uh, suddenly, the author, who is Luke, switches from using the, the second person term, they, 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 and he begins to start using the, the second person, uh, I'm doing this wrong, aren't I? The second person, they, and begins to use the first person, we. Uh, and, and so now he starts writing immediately at that point. He starts saying, we sailed away from Philippi, and we were going to the place for prayer. And he, and he does this, of course, because Luke is actually with them. He's included in them at that point. He is going, sailing away with them. He is praying with them. In, in verse 3 of our passage today in this prologue, Luke says this. He says, it, it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. See, Dr. Luke was in a great position to, to gather this information and to record this information. And he lays it down in writing the gospel but because he's researched it extensively. And, and he did so uh, at, the very, at a very close time to when all these events actually occurred. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, I'll tell you a story. You know, you kind of have to illustrate from things you know. And this is when I, I kind of know. There is a, a reporter named Ben R uh, Ritter who works for the magazine Sports Illustrated. In June of 2014, uh, the, the magazine sent them down to Houston and wanted them to research something. They wanted them to find out uh, that the Houston Astros were doing some weird plan that no one had ever done before, uh, and he was just supposed to go and figure out what they're doing. He, he went there, he asked questions, he learned about it, and he was so intrigued by, by what was going on, uh, by what he learned, that he wrote this article uh, for the magazine and ended up being the cover article for the, for the, for the, uh, the month. And it claimed the Houston Astros were going to be the 2017 World Series champion. This is in, in June of 2014. And, and that prediction does indeed become the cover story, and everyone laughed at it. Uh, and some of the more serious people were just angry about it that we'd even say this, because it was such an incredibly crazy prediction, because the Astros had been in last place for three seasons in a row, and they were terrible that year as well. And, and yet the reporter was so intrigued by this that, that he began to just completely research this. He stayed with this story over and over and over again, continuing to interview players and coaches and the front office people and others who, who shared stories with them. He learned everything he could, and then he, when they actually did win the 2017 World Series like he predicted, uh, the reporter then wrote the book to tell the entire story. He wasn't on the team. 
He didn't witness all the behind the scenes going on, but he writes this book called, called Astro's Ball, and it's a history book, and it's gathered from people that he interviewed. It's gathered from stories that were told. It's gathered from these events that the public never even saw. Luke's gospel is kind of like that. There's something much better going on. It's a better story. There's, there's a much more spiritual thing happening here. Uh, but Luke, you know, approaches in that way. It's more like an investigative reporter might do it, or a detective. He begins to ask these questions, right? The, the ones we all know so well. Who, what, when, where, and how did these things happen? He's asking those questions that, that honestly come to a lot of our minds at times. These questions, who, who is Jesus? What did he really do? I mean, I, I've heard he did miracles, but did he really do these miracles? He, he gets some of his information from the, the, the writings of others as he puts this together. He, he, again, we know so because he says so here in verse 2. And, and as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Now, we're, we're pretty certain that one of the narratives he's talking about is actually in the scripture, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Uh, we, we know that because there are so many similarities between these two um, that, that overlap in that regard. But, but he writes this because he wants to write the most complete history of the, of the story of Jesus. He, he wants to get the information correct. And, and you know, the, the more archaeologists learn about the ancient world, the more they, they over and over again are confirming just how accurate Luke was as a historian. They dig up locations and they're finding names that he used and the dates that match. And, and, and kind of amazed at the, at the way these things are going. That, that they're finding out that Luke was an absolute top-notch historian. Those who have studied his writing style of, of Luke here, they, they, they recognize that he was incredibly intelligent. He was well-educated. Uh, the way that he actually writes in Greek is on, on, on the level of a lot of the Christian or, uh, Greek classic, classic works. He has this very sophisticated writing style. And so they know a little bit about him that way. Uh, now, now, you might be thinking, as I'm telling you all about Luke writing this, that, you know, uh, many of you are probably thinking, I would have thought this when I was younger, didn't God write the Bible? This is a lot about some guy named Luke, but what about, where's God in this? Let me, let me try to correct. There's, there's this air when we talk about uh, inspiration of, of, of the scriptures, right, that, that people talk about sometimes. And, and they explain the writing of the scripture as though the biblical author just, just writes down what God dictated to him to write down. Um, some sort of like glossy eye, just, uh, you know, that's kind of the picture of what, what you think, uh, a possession sort of thing. That, that's not the case. That's not the, the way this works. As, as we've said, Luke did massive research on this. He found the truth out. He, he talked to people who witnessed this with their eyes, and he wrote it down uh, using the writing ability that he learned as he studied over the course of his life, using the skills that were developed and the skills and the gifts that God gave him. Yet, it's not just that ordinary. See, he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which makes it very distinct. Uh, John, John MacArthur explains it like this. The process of inspiration never bypasses or overrides the personalities, vocabularies, and styles of the human authors of Scripture. The unique traits of the human authors are always indelibly stamped on the book of Scripture. Luke's research creates no exception to this rule. The research itself was orchestrated by divine providence. And so then by divine inspiration, we mean that God chose this physician named Luke. And God guided him in his writing so that he wrote what he wrote would be both absolutely true and amazingly powerful. And it is. 
That, that, that's, that's, you see, what that ultimately means then is that God has given us the gospel of Luke such that the gospel that Luke wrote is truly the infallible word of God. And, and so you, you may have noticed through this then that, that Luke is also writing to a specific person, uh, a man named Theophilus. I'm kind of surprised we don't know more people named Theophilus. There's not a lot known here, but his name's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, some people actually wonder if Theophilus was ever a real person at all. And, and the reason they think this is that his name is actually constructed from these two Greek words, uh, Theos and Philos, uh, Philos uh, which together mean literally beloved of God. And so there's some people that think that this isn't a person, it's just a generic offering, a generic kind of statement, you know, uh, kind of like you might address a letter to, 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 to whom it may concern or, you know, current resident that shows up in our mailboxes sometimes, that sort of thing. And, but really all the evidence points to this being a real person who, whose name really means beloved of God. See, the, the book of Acts is also addressed to this same man who in our passage uh, Luke refers to with this, this title, this address rather at the beginning. He says, most excellent Theophilus. And, and that might mean, seem like nothing to us, but that, that address is actually uh, an address that's used for a high-ranking Roman official in the Roman Empire. We see this not only outside of Scripture and various documents from the era, but we, we see it in the book of Acts as well. In Acts 24.3, we, we see the governor of Judea addressed, the, uh, addressed as most excellent Felix. And then two chapters later in Acts 26.25, his uh, successor as governor is also addressed as most excellent Pestis. You see, for that reason, we, we believe that Theophilus is, is indeed a high-ranking official who at some point has been taught, taught about Jesus, some idea of the gospel. He, he knows something about it, and yet Luke's relationship with him, we don't know the details of that, but for whatever reason, Luke wants to make sure he gets to learn the truth of this, that he really understands who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the reason he's writing. He tells us so in verse 4 there, that, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. The, the word certainty there in verse 4 comes from this, this Greek term, uh, asphelion. It, 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 it does mean certainly, but, but it also carries this, this idea. It's one of the beautiful things about the Greek is they kind of will carry these, these bigger ideas sometimes. And the idea is this uh, being undoubted truth. Undoubted truth. And, and so what we're seeing here is this is applied to the story of Jesus, the history. Luke desires Theophilus to have... Uh, to have, you know, uh, desires Theophilus to have, maybe he's doubted truth about these things, eh? but he doesn't want him to. And so that's his desire. Let me give you a certainty about everything we can know about Christ. And so Luke has this specific purpose. You see, it's, it's not some assignment. I know when we see writings, people write for different reasons, for, for their jobs, whatever it might be. You know, this is not Greek composition class or an essay for History of Israel 101. He didn't write this at 2 a.m. fueled by Red Bull and coffee, you know, the night before. It's nothing like that. He's, he's writing what, what he himself in verse 4 calls an, an orderly account. And his purpose is to help this Roman official and others like him become more certain of who Jesus is, more certain of the gospel, more certain that their sins are forgiven, and that their eternal place with God is secure because of their faith in Christ. Because of what Christ has done. That, that's our goal in, in preaching through Luke as well. Um, I, I want us to see that the, the gospel of Jesus is, is both 
believable and beautiful. And the Gospel of Luke is going to take us there. See, my hope for all of us is that we do indeed gain a greater certainty of who Jesus is, that we gain a greater certainty about the redemption that he has accomplished, accomplished for us. So, so you remember that while, while we know this was written to an actual man named Theophilus, when, when Luke writes the word you there, if you look down, you'll see it in verse 4. It, it, it's providential in a lot of ways because, you know, that the man that he's referring to is, of course, uh, as we already mentioned, named, uh, his name means beloved of God. I think it's providential because that does describe every one of us who has a relationship with God, beloved of God. So as Philip Ryken has, has said in this sense, he said, Who is Theophilus? You are Theophilus. If you love God and you're loved by him, Luke's gospel is for you. This gospel's for me, it's for you. We, we, we need the gospel of Luke because we need to know everything we can about Jesus. We need to know about his birth. We need to know about his miracles. We need to know that Jesus does love sinners. We need to know that, that Jesus did what he did to rescue us from the wrath of God that we rightly deserved. We, we need to know about the humiliation that he suffered on the cross and, and that he did so because of our sins. We need to know, really know that, that his body was resurrected from the grave so that we know that we can trust in him. We can know that after our, our own death, that our bodies and souls will also be resurrected from the grave. These are the most important things in the world for us to know. We, we need to know it because if we're honest, if we're truly honest, like, like, like I said at the start, sometimes we have our doubts. And Jesus met people who had doubts often. You, you might remember the, the man who, who is interacting with Jesus. And in Mark 9, 24, he, he says, I believe. Y'all know how that ends? Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. Do, do you remember that, that after that, sometimes we forget the second part. After that, Jesus didn't condemn this man and, and send him away as if he'd somehow failed something. But what Jesus did was, was work is so, in such a wonderful way in this man's life, in the life of his sick son, that, that the man's doubts would fade away. We're not told that explicitly, but we see the way that Jesus responds by, by, by working in his presence. You remember when Jesus comes into the presence of, of Thomas the doubter? Uh, right? The guy with the worst nickname ever. Jesus is patient with them. He shows him truth. And, and Thomas the doubter is transformed into Thomas the believer before Jesus leaves his presence. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing we want to handle doubt with, right? We want to transform doubt into to greater faith. Let me ask you this. How many of you remember uh, that total eclipse? It was about a year ago. If you're a freshman this year, you missed out. Last year, you got to skip class right at the beginning of the year because there was an eclipse coming to town. Um, and, and if you really took the time and you drove north so you could get right into the full path of it, do you remember that moment when, when you could finally take your glasses off and you could look up at the sun uh, being blocked out completely as we just we stood in the shadow of the moon? I think I have that right. I don't know for sure. Uh, I, I can just remember that leading up to it, we heard so much about this. It's going to be like this. The birds are going to stop singing and you won't be able to see anything. And, and all these I, ideas, and we weren't sure, like, well, do you see any light? And it's just this great wonder. And, and then in that moment, that moment that we finally got to take our glasses off and, and we could see it for ourselves. 
all this stuff we kind of knew about, finally we're, we're, we're seeing it for ourselves. That's our hope with the book of Luke. We want to look at Jesus with our eyes uncovered and for our doubts to melt away. Because we believe in Jesus. Most of us do, but, but, but sometimes we are tempted to not believe. May, may the Lord grant us faith in the face of doubt that overcomes and, and gives rise to glorious assurance in our Savior. And so we look to Jesus, and, and that means we don't, we don't look at our spiritual accomplishments. Because it's not about how well you obeyed Jesus this week. That, that's important, but that's, that's not what your salvation is about. It's not based on how many days you woke up and had a quiet time in the scriptures this week. It's not based on how strong and, and undoubting your faith is. It, it's not, it doesn't find its foundation in some past moment in your life where you, you prayed a prayer. That, that's not what it's based upon. It's based upon uh, Jesus the Lord. And, and so we're going to look at him week after week so we can see that. Because my, my goal and my hope and my prayer for all of us is, is that we gain a love for Jesus. And, 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 and you know, either, either for the first time in our life or that you gain a renewed love for Jesus. If you're one of those people who you can look back in your life and think, I used to be more passionate. I used to love him more. I, I, I used to be more in love with Christ. But we're going to look to Christ. And our, our prayer is that we fall in love with him or, or grow in that love with him. Uh, Luke is by far the longest book of the New Testament. Uh, I'll tell you that right from the start. And, and, and you know, we live in this era today that is uh, crazy short attention spans. And, and in fact, uh, church growth people will, will tell you that if you want people to keep attending over and over again, coming back each week, that you should have sermon series that last from three to five weeks long. This is going to be a little longer than that. <laughs> We're going to fail that miserably. But that, that's okay because our goal isn't just to gather people, it's to make disciples. And so we're going to spend as much time as we need until we can understand the passages and, and we can apply these passages. We might take some breaks along the way, but we're going to preach the entire book because uh, we're committed to being able to say honestly what, what Paul says to the people that he's ministering to in Acts twenty twenty seven, where he said, I, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So we're going to preach this entire pa the passage, this entire book. Uh, and I hope you'll be here. I hope you'll be here because Luke's gospel is for those who, who, who aren't really sure about God, aren't really sure about who Jesus is. And, and it's also for men and women who have only recently begun to trust in Jesus. It's for those who have um, seen the passion in Jesus' fate over the years. It's for those who love the Lord and are confident that they are loved by him. It's for everyone who needs Jesus. It's for everyone who wants to be sure about him. And, and, and that means it's for everyone. And so as we go through Luke, my prayer is that strong faith would be strengthened and that fog of doubt would be lifted. Lifted as a, like the sun that rises and brings with it light and heat. That, that it would just dissolve the, the doubt that, that seeks to, to seep into our hearts. So that we can see what, what is true. So that we can see what is really there that seems hidden in the fog. So that we can see Jesus who himself has, has said that he has come to seek and save the lost. Well, I, I'm going to pray now. I know it's a little weird. You jump into a book and you think, let's, let's get into it. But it begins with this, this little prologue, right? So it kind of is preparing us for it. Um, 
And so let me tell you this. Next week, we're going to be in verses 5 through 25. There's two ways you can handle this. You can just show up next week and listen. But a much better way, a much better way to, to prepare your heart for that, to prepare your heart for worship in general, to, uh, to be caring for your own discipleship is to take time this week. R- read those verses. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And, and read them. Ask questions about it. Ask, what does this mean? Why does it say that? Like, ask these questions about it and, and come back uh, ready to learn next week. This, this book is a gift of the Lord. All of the scripture is, but this book as well. Uh, let, us, let us pray.